Bald Men on Campus with Jay Billis, LaFonso Ellis, and Seth Greenberg. Welcome to Bald Men on Campus. I'm Seth Greenberg. I'm joined by Jay Billis and the great Mark Few. Fewey, uh, we spent a lot of time talking about the transfer portal. We spent a lot of time talking about NIL. We spent a lot of time talking about who's coming and who's going. In your situation, man, it's like, looks like everyone's on board, sticking around, and uh, ready to run it back. How were you able to navigate NIL and everything that surrounds keeping uh, the culture and identity of your college basketball, college basketball program together this spring? Uh, well, first of all, it's just a huge honor to uh, be in <laughs> On my wife, my wife's favorite podcast that she listens to, uh, <laughs> uh, and she always thrills me. I, I don't listen to podcasts. I don't even know how to listen to podcasts. I know that, that shocks you too, but uh, uh, <laughs> uh, so hey, I, I'm I'm thrilled. Uh, but to the to back to the question, I mean, guys, it was the most uh, complicated and. Uh, you know, challenging April, May, <laughs> early June, you know, we've ever had uh, up here. And I think the reason that we got to where the point we're at is, uh, you know, we have great uh, guys, had five guys go into the draft process and two of them stayed in it. But the communication lines were always open and everybody was communicating and, 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 you know, so uh, the, the information was accurate and nobody was uh, uh, threatened or thought it was biased when we were able to discuss it. If that, you know, sometimes there's the thought that, oh, the college coach just wants you to come back and blah, 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 and all that. So very, very healthy uh, uh, lines of communication. I think that's that's how we ended up where we ended up. And I think everybody you know, made the right choice, but also were, was able to go out and, and, and see and find out exactly, uh, you know, where they were in the eyes of the NBA people. You know, it's interesting about the, the accurate information. Uh, you'd probably agree that, that most coaches, if not all, give accurate information. It's a question of whether the players are, are, are willing to believe it, you know, whether they think there's an ulterior motive you know, you, you have recruited, I think you and I have talked about this, Mark, like you've recruited so many great guys, like take the player out of it. You got to have talent to win, but you know, I think you Notre Dame, there are other, other programs where you get back with your former players and you go, that, that that's a group of guys I'd like to have beer with. Like I would have loved to have played here just to hang out with those guys. How much of, of their, I know talent is, is, primary because you got to you got to be able to play but but how much does character go into the recruiting process and how and how do you assess the character more important you know it's funny i think after a while your 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 program's culture attracts uh certain people and then the, as you get into the the early parts of recruiting you, either that particular player and his family or you know feel an affinity for how Gonzaga does things and, and all that, or they don't. And, and then as you do get on campus or whatever, and they start seeing the guys that we currently have uh, and, and are able to hang out with them and hang out with the staff. Then I think we got a really, really good feel of whether it's going to work or not. 
the, the, the transfer, uh, you know, going into the Portland recruiting transfers is, is interesting because, you know, those guys have been there, done that and been in college and they've kind of, they know what really, really matters. And it's not so much some of the bells and whistles that they might've been looking for out of high school or whatever. And, and, you know, they, at least the ones that we've been able to uh, uh, be involved with, you know, and ended up coming here, they want to win. They want to be around a, a, an awesome group of guys and in a team situation. Maybe they didn't have that at their other place. And they, and they want to just, they're crazy about their development. They, and they want a situation and an environment where they can really, really work their games because they all have, you know, everybody in our program has professional aspirations. So uh, when those things all line up, then, then it works pretty good here. And like I said, I think that's kind of what we talked to them about. So it's pretty, pretty good, clean line, honest communications. And I think we do a good job, honestly, delivering on that. I think that's why we have such a good relationship with our former players. Yeah, your former players remind me, like, how much is the ownership aspect of the former players? Like, like your former guys are around, so and they're around your current players. Yep. How much are, like, the accountability of what it is to be a member of Gonzaga basketball, that it's a privilege more than a right? And how much do those older guys, whether it's on your team, or even guys that have graduated in years past or left the programs in years past, hold guys accountable. I mean, is that is that is that part of the of being part of the Gonzaga family? You know, it's certainly we encourage that, especially with the guys on our team and and the older guys. You know, from year to year, and I look at a Corey Kispert. I mean, he was unbelievable at doing that and and, and passing that on. Um, Others have been, you know, uh, Andrew Nemhart's a really, really quiet, but very, I mean, highly, highly respected leader. Uh, Drew Timmy, obviously, highly respected, very outgoing and outspoken and all that. So they come in different ways. But I think the current players do a great job. And now is when all my guys that are NBA guys are starting to matriculate back. You know, I was just uh, downstairs with uh, Kevin Pangos was in town. He's in town for four or five days. And I think they reaffirm to the, to the young guys that they're down lifting with and doing everything with just, you know, what this place is all about. I mean, they're not introducing a new concept. They're just reaffirming to them like, Hey, this is how it's done. And this is what we did. And this is, you guys are on the right path. And so many of your former guys, when they're done playing, live there. Yeah. I mean, how many? How many guys? I mean, it obviously speaks well of the program, but it really speaks well of the community too. That that guys want to want to spend their their lives there. I mean, how many guys do you have that that have come back to to live in the Spokane area? I mean, Jay, I, I mean, you know, because you've been up here often. Uh, I, I don't know that I put a number on it, but I would say the percentage is is over fifty. Wow. It seems like. Uh, it, it just seems and seems and feels like. I mean, again, that's probably off, but um, they, they have such a great experience here. Our, you're so right. Our community just adores them, and uh, and you know, hey, that opens up doors for them professionally when they're done. I mean, I you know, you look around at, at the Calvaries and Santangelos and Ryan Floyd's and and uh, and and even some more recent ones are are now fully immersed in their professional lives outside of basketball and doing great. I think a lot of it's because of the relationships they build here, you know, in the Pacific Northwest. 
what was Drew Timmy's whole his journey? This you know, like Player of the Year candidate, All American, Final Four is in a lot of ways face of college basketball a good portion of of his career. What was that? Just I mean, like what was that on? A, was that a daily deal? Was that a weekly deal? Was that a you know, trying to figure out what's in his best interest. How much did like NIL come into factor it, or was it more like don't mess with happy? I think no. I think it was everything. I think he he his family and and again, guys, you got to understand now with each of these situations, there's now agents involved, <laughs> and so uh, um, you know everybody's involved again. Uh, for the most part, I think the everybody left kind of drew alone to just try to go for it and focus and, and put everything he wanted to really, he didn't do it last year. You guys, if you remember, I mean, it was a day or two after the final four, he just said, Hey, you know, forget this. I, I'm just, I don't want to go through it and I'm just going to hunker down and go, go back. So he didn't even play the game or mess around. So uh, he did a good job. He's in phenomenal shape and he bounced around and did some workouts and, 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 um, got the feedback that I think he, you know, I don't, I don't know that he needed or wanted to hear it, but he got it and uh, um, factored that in with like what you just said. I mean, he literally is, has been, uh, could be uh, again for another year, the face of college basketball. And, and, uh, but also there, you know, there's still some development to be done. And I think he's kind of honing in on that. And I think he, he thinks and, understands that college is probably the best place to develop. You know, I, I, you know, I've heard many NBA guys say, you know, that, that, that it's not a development league. It's, it's a, and neither is a G league. It's a showcase league. And if you want to develop, then college is a place to, uh, to do that. Uh, the interesting thing and the, and the, the really, really positive things about NIL is that it now gives you know, college programs, the opportunity to, uh, or actually the players, the opportunity to, you know, they don't, they don't have to succumb and just, just give into a two way from the, from the D league or whatever, you know, if, if, if they are as popular and, and, you know, uh, capable of with their name, image, and likeness of, of making some money like Drew certainly is. I mean, you can, you can get up there with that, in a, in a, or excuse me, the two-way type of money. And so, you, you know, you can kind of rationalize it in your brain then instead of just like, well, I'll go back to school, you know? Um, so I think that's, that's definitely the positives of, uh, you know, where we're at with NIL and everything. You know, Mark, I, I would put your guys, not only the, your current guys, but but your program over the years, their, their level of competitiveness up with anybody, maybe above anybody. But where I don't, what you guys do that I don't see everywhere or other places is while you're cutthroat competitors when it's time to compete, your guys have fun together and the coaches are needling the players and back and forth. They're giving you a hard time. I mean, it's a, it really is a fun atmosphere. And, uh, and families are involved, you know, you got the kids on the floor and different, you know, different families um, that had to have been intentional. But when, when do you think it started? You know, I, I mean, it, 
I guess it was just kind of me being me, you know, I don't know that it was intentional. It was just, I guess, just trying to be sincere. And I don't know, and you're so you're 10,000 times the wordsmith I am, but maybe I think those things are two different uh, uh, things. And so, you know, I, I just think our actions, you think back to those, you know, early years, I mean, Leon's kids were growing up, my kids were growing up. So and you're gone so much and you feel so guilty about missing all those birthdays and, you know, whatever, home runs or games and this and that. But you just have them around. And I think the players saw that and realized, like, you know, uh, you know, we were actually, mimic, you know, acting out what we talked about being a family, right? I mean, you talk about it and if everybody just does their own thing and goes their own ways and that doesn't really act like a family. And, and I think we – I think we did a good job just just being ourselves. And I think the players picked up on that um, and kind of throughout the run, the staffs always had a great, great rapport with the players. They had an incredible rapport with our kids. And uh, it's just kind of always been like that. It's worked. You know, I think sometimes in the past, uh, others that maybe don't know us quite as well don't, you know, maybe don't think we're as intense and competitors as maybe others. We are. We just – I feel like we know when to turn it on and when to turn it off. I mean, we've had obviously some ferocious competitors and our staff is crazy competitive too. Yeah. I mean, when a game, when the light goes on, you're a different <laughs> I mean, You get that, you get that, you might not wear that tie. Thank goodness you don't wear that tie. <laughs> Everyone goes, Phew, he's such a nice dude. You know, he was like back. I said, look at the dude's face. He's, he's like, like, he's ready to explode. Come on now. I mean, I think that's kind of like, you know, the intention of coaching a team compared to the the feeling around a program are two different are two different things, you know. And you can be and you can as you guys have proven, you can be both. And you know, obviously, when you need to be. Yeah, and again, it's not just on the sidelines, right? I mean, I think some of the some of the more intense moments, and as you guys both know, or you know, might be in the film room or in the team room or in the. Uh, uh, and those are natural, right? I mean, it, no different than a family, quite frankly. I mean, it, you know, uh, you know, sometimes those are just necessary. With the stress, you know, you're not immune to stress. Everybody has it, and then coaches have it uh, as much as anybody. How do you how do you get away and balance things? Because you, you're, you know, you and and your wife Marcy, you you live a balanced life. How do you how do you get away from the stress of of competition and coaching? Uh, you know, again, I think I, when we do have, uh, you know, those hours or days or whatever you might have, I mean, I think I, I just try to, to me, those help me grow. I, I'll just go and, and get away for a day on a river, you know, on an off day instead of, I, I, I don't, I don't feel like I need to watch all 16 films of the next opponent. I think I can watch three <laughs> and have a really, really good feel of what they are, especially with synergy and everything now. So, uh, you know, I think as you get older in this profession, you, you know, you lose the insecurity of feeling like you're not, you know, you're missing out or not doing something. Uh, and, and again, I think the area that I live in lends itself to just get out and get in nature. So, you know, whether it's on a long walk or mountain bike ride or jumping on a river, fly fishing for a couple hours, uh, you know, I think that 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 really helps and lends itself to uh, 
uh, good balance. I mean, and again, obviously our, you know, the, the, our, our faith uh, that I was raised in and that Marcy was raised in, I think that's another good source of just, you know, again, back to we're all extremely psycho competitive, but there is, it's not the end all be all here, you know, where there is a, more life than just a game. I saw, I saw Fury like be heroic though. Jay, you don't understand. You, you, you've never seen him be heroic. So you've seen him coach a game. You've seen his intensity. You've seen his event. But I saw Marcy drifting out to sea, and I saw Fury pop out of the chair. Was in Cabo, if I'm not mistaken. That wasn't Marcy. That, that was a straight. That was somebody else. I forgot who's. That was one of the other coaches' wives. Oh no, that was Herb Sednak's wife. Yeah, 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 yeah. And sprint out of the chair, sprint to the beach. Throwing everything off, swimming out. I mean, he. I mean, it, it was one of those. You know, he was like an action figure. I never, I never perceived Fury as an action figure personally, but I mean, he was like, he was like an action figure. In you remember that day? Oh yeah, yeah. That was just <laughs> a little, little riptide that somebody was a little bit not in a good place. Jay knows how to handle that stuff. He grew up on the beach, so if you've been swim around, swim sideways, him, baby. You're ever in a riptide, swim sideways. Yeah. Yep. Uh, what was the last time in, in your uh, in your jumps out in nature? What was the last time you saw a bear or a moose? Oh man, I saw a moose probably four days ago, uh, and have not seen a bear. I usually see the bears up in Alaska, and. Uh, so I'll see one of those probably later in summer, early in the fall. I try to get up there at least once a year. Um, the the yeah. moose are the most uh, most dangerous when you're fishing, right? When you when they're when you get out of the out of the river from place to place, won't they charge you uh, if you're not careful once in a while? Uh, once in a great while, yeah. That's usually in the fall. Uh, they're usually really sedate creatures, and, and uh, uh, yeah, I think you've been watching too many of those shows out there in North Carolina. They're I saw one in Montana. It had a calf with it, so my guide, I'm not going to go fly fishing with a guide. We're on the Gallatin River, and and uh, we dove into the water from uh, from the side of the from the bank because yeah. he was like, we can't mess around with this. And uh, and so I just, whatever he did, I did. He dove in, I dove in. Yeah, maybe he was trying to get a bigger tip. <laughs> I would have kicked that moose's ass. But he wasn't. Yeah. Me, so. uh, they're pretty sedate. We have a, like we get them in our yard quite often, and they're 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 pretty laid back creatures. ESPN's Emmy Award winning thirty for thirty documentary film series presents the greatest mixtape ever: the story of how a series of street ball videos set to music in the nineties transformed basketball's place in the culture, define the lives of the players who starred in them and change the game itself forever. Starting June 1, stream on ESPN Plus and listen to the companion 30 for 30 podcast, Streetball Mixtape, exploring the essence of streetball through a collection of legendary stories. Listen on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. The Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst focuses on life, in and around the NBA Finals. Twice a week, Brian is joined by ESPN insiders, including Tim McMahon and Tim Bonteps. Every Friday and during the NBA Finals, check out post-game podcasts with Brian and a combination of Zach Lowe and Kendrick Perkins. 
That's Hoop Collective. Listen wherever you get your podcasts and also available on YouTube. Malachi Smith, what does he do? Yeah. Obviously, you lose a great leader in Andrew Nadler, and, 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 and you get a mature guard that obviously played at a lower level, but with a grown-ass man's body. Uh, what does he bring and mix with, obviously, you have guys that have waited their turn and are waiting to step in and play. How's that, how's that work? I mean, I, I, the, the, one of the great things about Malachi is, is, man, he's got an incredible positive spirit and, and he's outgoing. And, and even though he's just going to be new to our program, I mean, I really think uh, leadership wise, he's going to play a, a real role uh, in our program. You know, uh, outside of Drew uh, last year, I mean, we had probably the quietest team <laughs> we've ever had here. And, and it, it, you know, it was a, a, a big source of frustration for not only the head coach, but kind of everybody on the staff. And, uh, you know, I think uh, Malachi is, he's a guy that you know, he walks in the gym and is, is just this positive uh, uh, force and, and will talk and loves to talk and has had a really, really good run, you know, and, and has shown he can really, really deliver. He also went through, uh, you know, the NBA pre-draft process and, and actually represented himself pretty, pretty well in, in, in that regard. So you get you get an uh, older, experienced guy. I mean, it, his his three numbers are, are have been solid throughout his entire career. He's bigger, he's stronger, older, and and uh, so I think he's going to impact us in a lot of ways, not just uh, you know so much with the numbers on the floor. Who, who do you credit, Mark, when you look back at your coaching career with with teaching you how to do this? Like, like who do you who do you look to as your um, your mentors that kind of you feel taught you the, the right way to do all this? Gosh, man, Jay, I, I think it's been just a giant collection of all the people I've been so blessed to be around with back my high school coach, uh, Doug Orton, who just instead of just playing the game, I mean, he, he had me thinking way back, you know, my sophomore year about how to attack zones and different man-to-mans and things like that. Uh, uh, but then also, when I first got up to Gonzaga, I couldn't believe how crazy anal Fitz was, Dan Fitzgerald, on preparation, you know. I mean, we'd scout the jump ball. <laughs> <laughs> we'd get yelled at if we didn't have the uh, – you know, and after a while, we'd be like, Coach, they do switch their alignment once in a while. On the ball, you know, um, Dan Munson, obviously. And then I'll tell you, Matt, I think the assistants I've had have probably had as big an impact on me as anybody from Billy to Leon to Tommy to Donnie Daniels to Brian Michelson and the guys I have now, Roger Powell, have, have all been uh, Ray Giacoletti. Uh, just been great. And I'm one that I, I just fully believe uh, when you empower your assistants and make them owners, it makes your uh, program so much stronger because uh, they're in it with their heart and soul instead of just on the periphery, maybe just recruiting guys or something. And then I, I really believe in just collectively using the brain power of the whole organization to try to figure things out. Uh, and so I, 
I'd say that, but then just watching a bunch and marveling at how Roy Williams' teams played and grabbing stuff from him and grabbing stuff from Lute Olson's teams, watching how Coach K ran his program, uh, watching Tom Enzo, uh, just what a great relate, you know, intense relationship he had with his players, but how they love him. Uh, and just kind of being around these guys and trying to grab and learn as much stuff as I can. Heck, even uh, I think of the USA basketball experiences I've had, you know, spending time with Billy Donovan. We became great friends the last couple of years with uh, Coach Popovich, just seeing how he just uh, really interacts with the players and manages uh, uh, those guys. And then also manages his staff and our staff meetings the last couple of summers have been, you know, these awesome Socratic discussions, you know, that are, that are great and really make you think. And, uh, you know, it's kind of how I've tried to always do it around here. So uh, this is a collection of everybody just been so lucky and blessed to just be around all these uh, uh, great peoples and great coaches. Wait a second. All those guys are good. I, I need the best judge story. Cause I mean, I mean, I mean, that has, I mean, that had to be a lesson in itself. So I, you know, enough of all the other. Yeah. I like what's the best advice Judd ever gave you? Cause and, and I'm sure you can do a Judd imitation because anyone who's been around Judd a lot can do a Judd imitation. I, I, I mean, and, and again, I, that's horrible on my part to not throw him in that group. Cause he had a huge impact on me too. And I just so lucky to have him around uh, up here. And he was so supportive in a Judd way. <laughs> <laughs> You could really relate to. It's definitely a tough love situation. Um, and you guys have heard this, but I mean, I'll I'll, I'll try to entertain your seven listeners. Um, <laughs> well, hey, uh, ratings are up. <laughs> they're up to eight. Uh, Leon and I, we'd have our Tuesday lunch with him, and and I mean, he just you guys aren't rebounding. You're you know the way you you know, guard the ball on defense, you know, and what, what are you doing? Your point guard throws the ball all over the floor. And then, you know, when are you going to play more zone? You know, how come you don't play more zone? And I mean, so we walk out of Jack and Dan's, you know, after having this lunch with our heads down and then we look at each other and go, I swear to you at that time, I think we were 25 and two. And I said, are we, are we two and 25 or 25 and two? There wasn't one aspect of basketball that we were doing at a, at a level that he felt was, was good. But then the beauty of Jed is, you know, if you drop one of those hard games or whatever, you know, a heartbreak or whatever, the first call you had on your phone when you got back to the hotel or back to, you know, whatever was from him, you know, and it was picking you up. I'm like, hey, listen, you're fine. That was just a bad night, you know, blah, 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 blah. You would find you this and this and that. But man, woe to you if you'd been on any kind of winning streak or had a good game the night before, because uh, <laughs> there's not a whole lot of positives in that call. And Judd Heathcote was the best damn dinner speaker I have ever heard. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it he, I don't know if you guys ever had the opportunity to go to that Final Four party. You'd have every Friday, uh, you know, in some seedy little 
bar right off the main drag of a final four. I mean, hundreds. Uh, it was a coach's party, right? Anybody who had a relationship to Judd, you know, and so and the Michigan High School Co Coaches Associate would meet there. He would do a 30 minute deal with all his jokes over the course of his uh, career. And he'd just rattle them off one by one, you know, and his memory was impeccable all the way to the day he passed. And his delivery, as Jay can attest to, was just you know, top notch. And, and uh, yeah, he, he was something. I and mean, you put him up there before. Now, again, if we're going full disclosure here on this podcast, like we did try him at the Coaches versus Cancer a couple times. And he didn't always know his audience. So he, <laughs> <laughs> he was a firm uh, NC17R+. <laughs> <laughs> you never could dial it down to PG-13. Well, I always heard that um, I had uh, I had heard PJ, we did like a roast one year up in Rochester, New York, roast of Jim Beheim, and PJ Carlissimo um, got up there and did this deadpan thing with his glasses on the end of his nose, and he just crushed. I mean, he was fantastic. And I told Bill Rafter afterwards, I said, that was as good as I've ever seen. And he said, that's not... He goes, that was from his dad. Like his father was his even better. And like you guys, you know, especially you, Seth, because you're the oldest horse in this barn by a long shot, by the way. Um, like who would you put up in Judd's class of the guy, of the coaches like you've heard? Johnny Orr. Is that right? Johnny, Johnny Orr was freaking unbelievable. We, we, we'd go to the, the re back in the day to Reebok trips and Johnny Orr would do 45 minutes. And you would leave there with your, your stomach would hurt. <laughs> You'd be laughing, so you know, and you know, and in the middle of it, he'd go, "God, am I still talking?" Yeah. <laughs> and, and then obviously, Spoonie, Spoonie was Charlie Spooner. Charlie Spooner was just side-splitting funny. I mean, and just like, and, and do he would do things. Spoonie would do things even when he wasn't doing his act. Like we're in Vegas for for uh, one July, and I'm sitting there and I'm playing like. Five dollars a hand, just kind of wasting time. And Dane Altman's over there; he's probably paying ten dollars a hand. I got about, I I made up about a hundred and fifty dollars. I thought I was feeling pretty good about it myself. And he just walks over, and there were like, there were like stacks of like twenty five. And I, I'm not paying attention. And all of a sudden, he comes behind me. He just throws out fifty bucks. He just comes out, and slides out fifty bucks. The cards are coming, and he's playing a hand. And we lose. He just thought that was the funniest thing in the world. I didn't think it was very funny. <laughs> I mean, it was like I was making sixty-five thousand dollars a year, you know, with three kids. And, and he just—he was Charlie Spoonhour was was funny, but Johnny Orr was, was a, a ridiculously funny man. He was really funny to play golf with because he commentated the whole round, every every shot anyone took, and it wasn't commentary like nice shot. Yeah. It was like. You know, it was just, he would just needle you like the whole, oh, he was great. Those, those two guys, I, I, PJ's dad, I did a lot of Mama Leone when I was in Columbia. They used to have a, a Monday uh, media thing at Mama Leone's in New York. I didn't even know sure if Mama Leone's is still up. And he used to run it. And, you know, Karnasek would be there and Braff would be there and all those guys would be there and none of them. And that was a cast of characters back then. It's like a Friars roast. Yeah. yeah, yeah. None of them could hold the cattle. PJ's on that. Like, I mean, who, who are your who are your best friends in coaching? Guys, you 
hang with and talk to and all. I mean, you know, guys in yesteryear say coaching's not as collegial as it used to be. And that may be true, but it doesn't mean there still aren't great friendships. Yeah. And, and I, you know what? I think our group, Jay, is, has kind of been that bridge between this, the old school guys, you know, and trying to keep some of that going. Like, you know, I remember when I first started, we'd always, when we'd roll into town, we'd go out with the coach you were playing maybe the the night before. And, and boy, that eventually changed. You know, it just got way too, I don't know what, too serious, too whatever to, uh, uh, to do that. But, uh, gosh, I mean, I just, again, back to the, the former assistants, um, you know, the group that I kind of came up with, we, we were all just snot-nosed assistants. And I was, you know, we didn't have any money up here at Gonzaga at the time. I was sleeping on their floors. Mark Turgeon, uh, Ray Giacoletti, he was at the University of Washington when I was, we were all Turgeon's assistant at Oregon. Obviously, uh, Munns and Leon and, and uh, you know, my guys that have, have, have worked here. And then, again, just going back to, uh, you know, love any time I get with Billy Donovan. I mean, he's he's such a great basketball mind, but also just, just such a fun guy, you know, whenever you're around him or whenever you're uh, talking to him. And, you know, the, 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 one of the cool things, and, and uh, you know, we got a guy that, that just retired uh, recently. I know both you guys uh, uh, know him well. Uh, Eric Lautenbach at Nike uh, yeah. you know, got me on the, the Nike coaches trip my first year. And to me, that was more intimidating than coaching your my first Division One game. I mean, I, I walked into that room and then they invited me to play poker that night. There was a select poker group that stayed up every night. And at the time, I mean, it was PJ and Cotton Fitzsimmons and, and Bayheim and Roy Williams. And, and uh, uh, I mean, it was a, a intimidating crew, but it, you ended up becoming great friends with all those guys. Yeah, you and Roy have, have a really good friendship. Didn't you guys, uh, you know, get together quite a bit and all that? And, uh, and then uh, he'd start coming. He'd bring his team out there. You'd kick his yeah. ass and go home. Uh, well, I mean, just it all that started on the, the those old Nike trips, you know, and and I certainly at that time didn't belong on them. But uh, Eric was just he was so good at connecting people and, and building relationships. And, and uh, again, now we're in 2022. And we don't have those anymore. You know, I think we, we have kind of grown away from all that stuff. And and uh, uh you know, I, it's 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 too bad. There's always obviously positives with how we do things and analyze things and all the effort we put into it. But missing those days where you're all hanging out on the road, like what you guys are talking about. I mean, those were very commonplace because we were all going to the same spots and then we'd all go out to dinner at the same place, you know, uh, that night. And, you know, for four hours, you'd put your competitive whatever's aside and just have fun. Um, yeah, and private travel is probably led to some of that, that yeah, yeah, you know, everybody's, yeah. it certainly changed our jobs. I mean, I used to spend just as much time with the, the visiting team as I did with the home team, but now the visiting team's traveling in late the night before and all that, you don't spend as much time. Yeah. And then even during the summer and recruiting when, you know, we, we, you know, me as a broadcaster, but I'd go to some of these events, we'd all go out and now guys are jetting in and out and trying yeah. to be more efficient. So you don't, you don't spend as much time. Yeah. 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 That, uh, 
great point. But I, I, you know, I, I do miss those characters back in the day. I mean, I remember, again, young first year head coach and, and, you know, getting stuck uh, in a lobby with uh, hugs back in the day. I mean, that, 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 uh, I mean, how awesome it is that nobody deserves to be in the hall of fame more than him. I mean, that guy's just such a, what he's done at each spot. And, and, uh, uh, I'm just so happy for him and, and what a character he is. I put him right up there with the guys we were talking about earlier as far as. Well, that's the thing, Mark. Like I wish, I wish the average Joe that, that watches college basketball, like the true college basketball fan, they have a perception of what hugs is that he's this (laughs) gruff dude and he's he's a thousand miles from that like he's the yeah. most engaging fun guy he's he's a great guy yeah. um and and the thing that always sticks out about or not one of the things that sticks out he's got this beautiful flowing handwriting and you would think that he'd be scratching an x the way people perceive him um he's smart as hell funny as hell and uh and he is completely different than what people think Totally. And, and just every treats everybody. I mean, the guy, you know, the, the janitor, anybody, I think they all have these endearing relationships with hugs, you know, cause he, he's real man. And, and, uh, he's, he's, I'm with you. I mean, I would, I would have thought the opposite until you start spending some time with him and then you just, his sense of humor, he's got a great wit about him and he, he, uh, and fiercely loyal and, and, uh, just, I, I tell you what, guys, I feel so lucky to, to, I got in when I got in. Cause I, I mean, I, I got to spend time with the Judds and the K's and the Roy's and the, and the hugs and the, and, and even, I mean, I, I remember like Seth was saying, I was at a couple events where I just kind of sat back and got to see spoon in action and, and, oh, and see him and, laughing and I wasn't a thing with Johnny Orr and his high pitched voice. And just, uh, I mean, those dudes were characters. Uh, and so to see that, but then, you know, blessed to be able to be in with these guys that are just, you know, whip smart and just are just dialed in on every single aspect of the, the video and analytics world and, and just how much college basketball's, uh, 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 changing. Uh, and I'm, I'm telling you, man, I mean, the respect now, uh, that you garner for somebody like coach K and for somebody like Jim Bayheim, and, and even think like how long Boyd was in it, uh, think about the change that had happened throughout their entire career, man. And they did, I, I don't know that they sat and complained about it. They adjusted, uh, you know, and, and I mean, they, 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 knew what was right for the game. They tried to impact that, but even if these different aspects came in, they didn't just give up. They, they just adjusted, you know, and, and kept their core values intact and their programs core values intact and just adjusted accordingly. But man, I mean, it, coach Bayheim, Holy smokes. Think about the change that he's had. Let me, let me ask you, you, think, you talk about Bayheim, you talk about Larry Nagy, you talk about Kay, you talk about uh, Jay Wright. Yep. Is those getting up there? I mean, changing of the guard in college basketball in a lot of ways. How do you see yourself in that in that whole thing? And I like, you know, we all know Jay Wright really, really well. And 
Yeah. I've had, I've had some really long and interesting conversations with him. Uh, and in the end, he just said he didn't have the same passion walking into the gym. Yeah. And he didn't want to cheat the guys that were there. And a lot had to do with the other things that encompass the job today, obviously. I don't think uh, he lost his love for coaching. Yeah. No, hey, Jay and I, well, I mean, we've had incredible conversations over the years. When we talk, we, we served on this ad hoc committee that, you know, is, uh, you know, trying to help with all the myriad of issues kind of flying our way. And, and uh, um, what, again, there, there's another guy, I mean, so blessed to have been a friend of his around him and to be able to see how he works and watch his team and marvel at his program, just how he, operates and, and just, I mean, uh, hall of famer through and through and, and happy for him that he got to this point. He made that, made that call, you know, um, I don't know about, you know, guardians of the game or whatever. I think when you're involved in this thing, as long as you have been in it, the longer you get and the little older you get, you kind of put your own, your Gonzaga hat aside and you just, you literally truly do start trying to, help make decisions it's the best for this game because the game's just been so incredible in in my life and and you just you want to make it better moving forward for this next group of players the next group of guys and so um it's not a bad spot to get to you know what i mean you get you get off of that other side and just try to look and and uh, but it can be frustrating man when you're serving on these committees and and Trying and you're beating your head against the wall and doesn't feel like you're making a whole lot of uh, progress. Do, do you have any concern, Mark, that as you know, obviously the money piece of, of all this is dictating some some moves that the entire industry may make, that if if we're being pulled along by football, do you have any concern that the that to make sure Gonzaga is a part of whatever happens in the future? Uh I mean, I think, you know, and, and again, you're luckily, I mean, having discussions with the people, you know, that are <laughs> in, in some pretty powerful positions or whatever you, we might conceive as power and then kind of the, the, the decision makers. I don't, I don't, I don't know that worry is the, the thought it's just, you know, making sure you're in, we're in position to pivot, do whatever we got to do. And, and uh, I think in Zagas is at the point now where it's brand and it's, you know, what we've been able to do, whatever happens, will be part of that. It's just making sure it's the right thing uh, for everybody and everybody understanding, uh, um, you know, where that, where that's going to go. And hopefully it'll be a well thought out uh, move or position on all parts on the national scope of where we're going with this for football, men's basketball. And, and, and then even, you know, with what we're doing, but, uh, you know, I'm confident with what we've done and where we're at. And then obviously, you know, what the school's commitment and all that we will be, we'll do whatever we have to do to stay, you know, relevant with everybody else. It's at the top of the heap. I can't imagine a situation someday where you guys become the Notre Dame of the Pac-12 in regards to basketball. That just makes sense. I'm not, I'm not putting words in your mouth. I'm just saying that that's one of those things that just makes sense across the board. All your, you know, all your other sports are highly competitive. So that, you know, 
I mean, all these all these conferences are going to grow. There's going to, I mean, they're all going to expand and and morph. It, it's it's causing some really interesting discussions. I mean, I've been talking about this for a while, just like the you know the relegation aspect that they have in in Europe. I mean, I don't I don't know why. I mean, I you look at some of these successful hockey programs. I mean, they're they choose. I, I think these have, uh, the thought that some of these athletic departments are just printing money, you know, is, is uh, it's not the case. I mean, they get the balance budget at the end of the year. Right. And so uh, um, I think you're probably, we're probably going to have to see like what, what uh, programs do you want to be, you know, high level division one in? what do you maybe be mid-level division one? Maybe you want to be this. And, and, I don't. I don't know if we need to keep adhering to just this conference stuff. I mean, yeah. and some guys are really good at baseball. Some some have awesome track and field, you know. And those guys ought to be able to compete at the highest level, and then maybe not. And I think, I think these athletic directors are need to start probably figuring out where that is and what that is. And 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 a lot of them probably should be playing football. Yeah, football is really, really expensive. And this thought that everybody makes money in football is not true. And uh, there's, you know, uh, I don't know what it is, but there's a small percentage of teams that make money in football. And not everybody makes money in men's basketball either. And so, I mean, you know, you got to figure kind of that out and, and figure out what the number is to, to make it still interesting to because the, because no matter all the stuff we went through, guys, I don't know how you felt about it, but every year that darn Final Four delivers. I mean, yeah. we were thinking we were going to be there, and and our hearts are broken that we weren't. But holy smokes, man, that Final Four delivered once again. I mean, it was awesome uh, theater to uh, to watch, and it just it's amazing how just no matter what, whether it's COVID, the year we were there in the bubble or whatever, or uh, you know, all the stuff surrounding it this year. I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was great stuff. As good as it gets. I agree. Joey, I can't thank you enough for doing this. This was fun. Hey, Tom Morris, I, we appreciate uh, our sharing uh, you with us. More importantly, we appreciate the ninth listener that we have to the podcast. Tell her to spread the word in Spokane. Maybe you can put it on the website. After we post it, tell her that would be appreciated. We might get up to maybe a dozen or two. No, nobody appreciates Mark taking 45 minutes of his time away from home than Marcy does. <laughs> she would have preferred an hour, hour and a half. <laughs> is she going to whale watching? Is she going to whale watching trips? The time I called you and I asked you what you were doing, and you said you were whale watching with your kids. I mean, did, does she go on those trips too? No, no, she hates any any type of weather that's uh, that is colder than seventy five degrees. So she's not big into the fishing trips uh, with inclement weather. So you know what we forgot to add this generation's Judd Heathcote, and I have been the recipient of the uh, the uh, very very sharpened barbs that uh, came my way. <laughs> Numerous times at our cancer events here that Jay uh, blessed us with his presence. Mr. Billis is as good in the modern era as I've ever seen. Uh, oh, yes. Entertaining a dinner crowd and, and sticking it to the host. He is 
right there on a Judd Heathcote level. So I feel like, you know, that has been passed down to him. And uh, he's done a remarkable job of it because uh, one of these days I'd like to go to a function where he's not aiming his, his sights on me. And I, I think I'd enjoy it even more. I don't go to I don't go to functions he's on because I don't want to hear it. I have to hear it every Saturday. One of the things that came from a set though is is uh, after getting to know Marcy, you know, she's in unbelievable shape. I mean, and and so's my wife Wendy. And I I told Mark one time like we got to have those two fight. Like if, if Marcy and Wendy got in a fight, <laughs> you need I, mean, I, I think it'd be I think it'd be an unbelievable scrap. And, they uh, are wiry strong. My guy. And then, and then I was thinking, I, I think Wendy could take her. And and Pew immediately says, Marcy's pretty scrappy. I don't know. Yeah. We, we were about to take our wallets out and lay money down on <laughs> Yes, she is. Uh, oh, my goodness. Oh, well, Pewie, thanks for this, yeah. man. Thanks for doing it, man. Appreciate you. Right, yeah, you bet, you guys. Enjoy it. Have a good All summer. Right. Be good, Thank brother. You.